Is it time for a mind shift? If you don't know what that means, then join your host, Dr. Clint Haycock, a former evangelical Christian pastor and Bible college teacher of over 20 years, along the journey of deconstruction and reconstruction of faith, life, religion, and spirituality. I'm so happy to be speaking again to returning guest Rebecca Drumsta. I think it was about a year ago that you were on. Now, though, you've got a brand new book. It's called When Family Hurts, 30 Days to Finding Healing and Clarity. So welcome back to Mindship Podcast. Thank you so much. And also, thank you for endorsing the book. (laughs) Yes, I did. I saw that book. You were so gracious to ship it all the way over here to North Wales. Uh, I remember you messaged me, uh, I don't know, maybe it was before Christmas and said, can I send you a copy? And I said, are you sure you want to do that? Because you have to ship it to the UK. But luckily, uh, maybe in a good way, this, it's not a huge book physically. It's not mm-hmm. big. So hopefully it didn't cost you an arm and a leg to ship it across uh, the pond. It was only about $15, actually. Okay, so that's not, not too, too bad. bad. Not too bad. Yeah. So the reason I was interested to talk with you about the book is because, as we, I'm sure we'll get into, it resonates with my family story. Uh, and when I saw you were talking about the, the book a couple of months ago, I think even it was, I said, oh man, I cannot wait to get a hold of this book because I've had that's, you know, that is my story. But who's this book for? I mean, who should read the book? What's your sort of ideal reader? Well, When Family Hurts was written for people who are in the midst of a strained or confusing family relationship. Um, And like you had said, it's designed as as a 30-day self-coaching guide that helps set you on a path towards healing and clarity. And so sometimes it might be um, maybe you, you and your sister or brother, you know, suddenly get at odds with one another and you're not talking to each other and you don't know what to do. Or there's um, perhaps a miscarriage in the family or a divorce or a misunderstanding or a discovery of a family secret. And in that moment, it's what do I do? I just need to do something. What do I do? And so if you find yourself there asking questions about what do I do? How do I handle this? And it involves people that you consider family that identify as your family. The book was for you. That's what I resonated with. Like I said, when I saw the title, I thought, man, here we go. You know, the families was the ones who are supposed to be the ones who offer us unconditional love. They're and oftentimes they do. I'm not saying most yeah. families don't, you know, but a friend yeah. of mine says, you know, families, they should be outlawed. That's the truth. You know, <laughs> the people that we are related to are not necessarily the, the same people that we would be friends with sometimes, you know, just because we're related sometimes. to them. But ironically, isn't it maybe in a way the family oftentimes are the ones who hurt us the most. They know our vulnerabilities. Like you say, so suddenly family secrets can come out, which is what happened in my situation. And that led to a bunch of stuff that fell out. And ultimately I don't have a relationship with my mother and about half my mm. sisters, you know? So I'm thinking, okay, this is a good book. This is a helpful resource yeah. for, for people like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I, I wrote when family hurts because there was a season in my life when this was the book I needed, but I couldn't find. Mm. And I would, I would go to a therapist and there was elements of what was happening in my life that they could understand, but because it also included spiritual abuse and religious trauma, they had no clue. And so there were so many pieces of a complicated family hurt that, um, I couldn't find a resource or a therapist that could really help me do this. And so I wrote the book that I needed and I wanted it to feel accessible for people. That's why it's not a huge book. It is written in that 30-day format. But I really hope that if you go through from, you know, day one all the way to day 30, that it will get at the heart of what's really going on, what you need, um, what you want, and to start bringing some answers your way. Can you explain the format of the book? Because as you say, it's not a massive book. There's not a lot of written content where you have to work your way through pages and pages Mm -hmm. and pages. I read it through. I mean, 
at about 40 minutes, I read each mm-hmm. page and then I thought, okay, I could go back and then action some of these things. But why is it written in such a way that it's not like heavy, heavy content? Yes. Well, for starters, I don't want to call this a journal because I personally don't like journals. I don't do journals. And so that concept alone would deter me from buying this type Mm -hmm. of a book. Um, So that's why I wrote it in more of a self-coaching guide. You have the answers that you need. You already know what you need. It's just someone being able to ask the right question and present material that helps you have that light bulb moment of, oh, I get it. That's what I'm feeling. That's why. And so the structure, and I'll kind of open up the book and go through it. Um, you'll see at the beginning, we have, th- there's 30 different topics for each day. So there's mm-hmm. 30 different, which may include loss, shame, loneliness, love, guilt, abandonment, distrust. And the way I formatted it is so that there's a daily check-in right at the very front of the book. And so each day after you complete the assignments, you go in and write any notes like, I really didn't feel anything today or, oh my goodness, I faced some reality, some trauma that I thought I'd overcome. So kind of just check in, just write a quick little note every day about this process. So you'll see, we'll start with day one and that's loss. We have a quote on one side and then the words that I've written about the topic of loss. Opening the page again, you will find a to do today section and an ask yourself section. The do today section is a challenge, something that you might physically have to go do. Um, this one is if you've been holding, part of it is if you've been holding back tears, allow yourself to cry. Sometimes we think we have to be tough and strong and hold it back, but really they've been building up and maybe go find yourself a quiet spot and actually let yourself cry. And then to ask yourself on this one, is what have I lost that others might not be able to see? Am I more upset about losing what was or what might be? And so the do today is that physical actionable item that I want you to go do. And then ask yourself, those are those coaching questions that ponder, sit with those questions and you can write them down in the book. That's what I say in my preface is write all over this book, draw pictures. I don't care, go crazy, but really get at the heart of am I you know, asking those questions and really digging deep into finding the answers and being honest with yourself because nobody else is looking, just you. Um, So each day is formatted that way with a quote, with a section that I've written about the topic of the day, and then the action do today item and the questions that you need to sit with and answer for yourself. So what's the intended outcome of the book? Because you talk about you know, there's not just the loss of family relationship. It could include a divorce or a separation, Mm -hmm. something like that, a spouse or a partner, something like that. So it's not necessarily that you're not speaking with your parents anymore or or sibling, although it could be what you want that person to do. Because one of the things I noticed about the book and going through all the 30 sort of days, the steps that you have, it's Mm -hmm. not, it's not a religious book. I was almost expecting, (laughs) you know, like do this and pray and God will help you. And there's no like religious language. There's no faith-based no. Pr- approach to it. It's, it's more of a self-help thing, isn't it? From a therapeutic point of view, it seems like. Yes, it is. And um, the, end, the end result of the book is, again, as I was struggling through my own time when I needed something like this, I needed help. It's to help me understand myself. It's as I go through this process, it's understanding what is it that I want? What is it that I need? Um, Are there boundaries that I need to put in place with myself or with others? And so ultimately, it's just helping you paint a a clear picture. Our emotions uh, really get in the way sometimes. (laughs) They are our signs of if we're having a feeling of anger or a feeling of sadness, we need to pay attention to what those feelings are trying to tell us. But sometimes when they're so big, we get confused. Our brain, our, our thoughts get muddled. And so this is just to help you weed through all of those overwhelming emotions and really put it down on paper and find those answers for yourself. So that my goal is at the end of the 30 days, you have a better grasp of what is truly going on in this situation. And again, what do you need to find some clarity to get some answers? Um, And I do hope that you'll find some healing as well. It really did strike me because going through some of the days you mentioned, you know, just reading some of the titles of the various emotions and things that you might feel, you talk about 
day one loss, day two shame, loneliness, forgiveness, love, guilt, abandonment, anger, distrust, pain, triggers. You know, I thought it seems like what you're describing here in so many ways, it is the loss of a community, isn't it? I mean, for those yeah. of us that have left religion or a cult behind that, that's what struck me about it too, is I thought, you know, I experienced the same kind of things when I walked away from evangelical Christianity, because mm-hmm. I felt like I had lost so many. And I did, I lost relationships with good friends that I've been friends with for years and years and years. Yeah. They, a lot of them turned their backs on me, you know, and, and I felt anger and I felt betrayal and I felt some of those things. And I thought, okay, I could resonate with that as well. So it's, it seemed like it's more than just a family thing. It's the loss of a significant relationship. Yes. And that's why earlier I said those people that you identify with as family and -hmm. sometimes, especially those of us with a religious background, there might be people we grew up with for 20 years who are like a sister to us or like a brother to us or the church family. Well, they won't talk to me anymore because I don't go there, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, because I'm not walking through their doors. Suddenly that (laughs) church family isn't so much a family, is it? Such a good point. And you talk about what really hit me reading through this was the day three loneliness. You say a strained family relationship is a lonely place. If you've been rejected, betrayed or ignored by loved ones, who can you talk to? You used to be able to pick up the phone and call your mom or text your sister. Now that's gone. They don't want to hear from you. Or conversely, you have to you have to maintain distance yourself because communication isn't healthy and may cause you to fall back into old habits. And I thought, boy, that exactly describes what happened to me. I had to cut my relationship off with my very fundamentalist mother who was proving to be too toxic. And, and you talk about gaslighting and things like that, where it's like, no, you need to understand this was my decision. This was something I had to do for my own health, my own sanity, mental health. Uh, how's that process work when someone has to make that difficult decision? Well, it's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's being estranged from your family has been always looked at as in such a negative light. Um, we've always, oh, well, they're not talking to their mother right now. Well, sometimes it is a toxic family pattern and it's a way of avoiding true issues by not going and and actually confronting someone or sitting down and having a discussion and working through our troubles. But often it's not a toxic family pattern. Often it is someone choosing their mental health, choosing what's best for themselves to walk away from toxic family patterns or from behaviors, from narcissism, from abuse. And so, but estrangement has this, this weird you know, vibe in our culture that, oh, if they're estranged from someone, there's something wrong with you. Well, that's not always the case. And so while each situation is different, I am seeing that as people are becoming more educated about mental health and boundaries, that they're choosing to be estranged from their families. It's a choice for their, for their own good. Um, and it breaks their hearts. And it, it, it hurts so bad because like we started this conversation, family, they're supposed to be the ones that love you forever. They're the most impactful relationships of your whole life, but now it's becoming the most painful decision that you've ever had Mm -hmm. to make. It's true. And there was an article just, I don't know, a month or two ago on the BBC here in the UK. And it was exactly that. I thought of your book when we were talking Mm -hmm. about doing this podcast, it was all about what you just said that more and more children of adult parents are choosing this hard decision to, to end that relationship with a parent or parents and that that's becoming more and more a thing, it seems like, where you have to do it. Maybe not forever, but sometimes it is forever. I mean, in my case, I've been separated from my mother for probably seven or eight years. And some of the themes that you talk about in your book, you know, it's like what happened in my case, family secrets came out where my father was basically a pedophile and he had abused some of my older sisters and no one knew that or no one disclosed mm. that. Off the back of that experience, uh, you know, obviously going into, whoa, what's this about? There's more and more that comes out. And then that led to all kinds of family splits and people turning on each other and things like that. So that's, you know, that kind of stuff happens, doesn't it? Unfortunately, in family, a big secret comes out and then the fallout just becomes so terrible. Yes. And that was sort of my, I had two target audiences as I was writing um, the book. Well, I suppose three, because the first one would be someone like me who was, who was yeah. hurting and had no, you know, again, I wrote the book that I needed, but it was those who are, are leaving the spiritual abuse communities that are walking away from all of that 
um, which is a lot of the work that I do. The work that you do is helping people rebuild after they're leaving behind toxic faith or have experienced religious trauma. And so that was very near and dear to my heart in my own experience. You know, I saw that that was translating to so many who are recovering from spiritual abuse as well. But I also am a director with a very large international nonprofit. And we work with individuals who take an at-home DNA test and find out that one or both of the people who raised them or they've been told was their biological parent is not actually their Mm. biological parent. So we have almost 11,000 members in our community right now. And um, I begin to see that they're finding these family secrets. They're making these discoveries about their fathers, their mothers, their grandparents. They're connecting with half siblings. They're connecting with all of these unexpected things about themselves and who they are genetically connected to. And a pattern that I've started noticing as I've worked with this group for, is it four or five years, as it's been growing rapidly, so many people are testing, they think it's fun. And then their worlds fall apart at home because of this. But those family secrets, such as dad had an affair, my grandfather was a pedophile, my whatever it might be, the stuff is uncovering. And I saw this strange connection where both of my worlds within the spiritual abuse community and the DNA surprise community, they begin to intersect because here I was, I was sitting at a conference and all these adults around me, they were all older than I was. Every one of them was sharing with me a story of how either because of their discovery, they begin to deconstruct the faith that they were raised in, or after they had an identity crisis because of their DNA discovery, they begin to deconstruct the faith that they currently practiced. And it has been, it's been wide ranging. Our community um, supports over 40 different countries, every race, religion, ethnicity, everything is within our community. And I couldn't help but see this overlap where here are people say, my dad was a deacon, my father was a pastor, my grandfather was an elder or a priest. And all of these stories when they take DNA, DNA is not lying, it's telling mm-hmm. the truth. And, and those are those things that you can't hide anymore. And so because of DNA testing, the family secrets, the hurts, the pain, it's all coming to light. And people are now deconstructing their faith but it was triggered, started by the trauma from a DNA discovery. So those are two, the two communities that I'm heavily involved with that were my target. So when you talked about family secrets, I'm like, I understand. (laughs) I hear the stories every day. Yeah. So are you prepared to talk about your own journey? Is that aside from your work with this group, did you have another factor that led you to, like you said, you were looking for the therapy, the book that you couldn't find. Did you have a similar story in terms of, what came out and you had to cut relationships off with family members? Part of my story, I don't share a lot about publicly, Mm -hmm. but yes, it is, whether it's my clients or friends, I am seeing the things that I've experienced that they're experiencing are similar when it comes to estrangement, because when you leave those toxic religious backgrounds, you now think differently than they do. And that's not okay. Mm -hmm. Um, often again, the pattern is, wait a minute, you raised me to believe that this was a sin and this was wrong and this was shameful. And here you are doing that very thing. Like, so that there's that duplicity, Mm -hmm. like how in the world does this add up? So it's, so yes, I, while I, I'm not prepared to share a lot of my own details, it is very much similar to what we are hearing from clients, from other people who are sharing their stories and yes, estrangement, which really, really sucks because you don't want to, you know, I never thought I'd go there. I never thought it would be my family. I had someone that I grew up with um, after she saw my book was coming out. She sent me a message and she was like, thank you so much because growing up your family, you were the perfect family. You were the family that everybody wished they could be just like. And so the fact that you are being truthful just by writing the book and that that is an admission that my family is not perfect. Mm -hmm. She, she felt so much more comfortable in her own life, in her own family, realizing that it was just a lie. This is another fundamentalist (laughs) faker who was really, yeah. Well, one of the things that hit me on day four 
you talk about forgiveness and that kind of hit me, kind of struck me mm-hmm. off guard a little bit because I thought, wait a minute, shouldn't that be that like be day triggering. 30 or something, you know, because I'm thinking, wait a minute, forgiveness on day four. I'm not ready to forgive on day four if I'm working through this book. No, you're not. But maybe <laughs> by day 30, <laughs> you might get there. But you say it's it's true, isn't it? It's not a popular word. It can bring up old feelings and memories. But forgiveness doesn't give the offender a free pass. By forgiving, you aren't saying that the horrible thing never happened, that those words didn't cut you open or that the abuse can be excused. So you're not saying it's just a cheap grace, as we used to say in the in the church, a free pass. What does forgiveness look like? And why do you put it so quick into the process day four? You know, that surely seems too quick, doesn't it? You know, I went back and forth with that. I had I had my book peer reviewed. <laughs> Since I'm not a, um, a licensed therapist, I did go and I found some people that are licensed or that have mm-hmm. PhDs. And I said, can you please read this and make sure I'm not really going <laughs> yeah. to screw somebody up. Um, and so that was one of the questions I had about, I feel like the topic of forgiveness is such a hot topic that there's mm-hmm. people all over the spectrum on what they see and believe about forgiveness. But I feel like it's something in the back of our minds. We think like we have to forgive, but we keep putting it off. And so I put it toward the beginning of the month of the 30 days, because I thought it would be, it would take time. Mm-hmm. You're not ready, but you need to know this is the end goal. And if you read what I said, for me, when I come to the moment of forgiveness for me, it was where I began to understand, for lack of a better term, the offender, the person who had hurt me. It's not mm-hmm. that it excused anything. It's once I understood the era, the mindset, the mental health, the beliefs, I understood it. That empathy, basically, of this does not mean it was not wrong. It does not mean it was not hurtful. It does not mean that it was not violating, but I understand. And mm-hmm. so for me, that was a moment of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, you know, we were taught about Corey Ten Boom and, you know, all of these, these Christian women who would, yeah. I forgive you to the Nazi man who beat, you know, hurt her yeah, and her killed sister. My family. And, you know, I forgive you, my brother. I cried with all of my heart. I had to memorize this thing in high school. Um, yeah, I read the book. So, yes. <laughs> I read the and comics so even. <laughs> it wasn't this big moment for me. Instead, it was that that empathy, that moment of understanding. So I think forgiveness for us, for each individual is so different. And it, it looks different. It needs to look different based on you and your situation. And so I try not to communicate like a formula for forgiveness because I don't, I don't believe in mm-hmm. that. But I do believe that forgiveness is for you and it is to bring you freedom and it will look different than maybe your best friend or your brother, or your sister or your therapist, but it is a necessary step. And if you want to replace it with a different word instead of forgiveness, that moment of empathy or understanding, then that would make sense too. Yeah, you're right. And maybe that's what it is. Cause in my case, I don't know if I've ever consciously said, Oh, I forgive my mother for siding with my father against the, your, her family and turning against all of us. But I would say now, six, seven years later, I think I have an understanding of why she did what she did. I, I don't mm-hmm. I don't excuse it, but nope. I can go, okay, I think, you know, she was looking at her financial future and worrying about that. And so in a way, she chose that over her children, which is a horrifying mm-hmm. sort of, you know, dialectic to yeah. be involved in, you know, a hor- horrible yeah. metric to come down to. Yeah. I'm going to choose my money over my kids. <laughs> God, that's, you know, that's and I, I, it's a hideous decision, but I think I've come to terms with that on some level, you know, it sounds yeah. horrible and it is, you know, but I don't feel all this anxiety and angst and anger. I think toward my mom that I did back, you know, when it all first was coming out and then it happened, you know? So yeah, I don't know if you call that forgiveness, maybe substitute another word, as you say. Yeah. Maybe for you, it is, you know? Uh, Mm -hmm. there's something um, my aunt often says, and it's follow your peace. And Mm -hmm. so does having that empathy does having that understanding of, okay, she faced being a single mom and having no job and da 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 like whatever. I don't know the situation. Can you put yourself in their shoes and understand it? So it was empathy or understanding. Does that bring you peace in that may be forgiveness for you? When we come back from the 
break with the second half of this conversation with Rebecca Drumster talking about her new book, When Family Hurts. I want to get into this issue of what about the other half of the equation? We're going to talk about people who, okay, we talked in the first half about people who made the decision, a conscious decision to separate from friends, family, or a, a relationship like a divorce. They made the decision to separate themselves from someone who may be, for example, a toxic person, a harmful, abusive person. But what if the decision was made for you? You didn't have a choice. You were cut off by friends, family, a partner, a spouse, something like that. What about that? We're also going to be talking about triggering. What happens when you are triggered by certain things from your past and how do you deal with that? How do you cope with that? So this is a really helpful conversation, I think, for a lot of us, as I've shared in my own story, people who had to cut off relationships with family members and now they're trying to pick up the pieces and forge a new life. And we're going to talk about what that looks like the new normal going forward. I just want to let you know what's coming up here in the next few episodes of MindShift Podcast before we come on back with Rebecca Drumsta. One of the cool things was I had a chat the other day with Michael from the Religious Addicts Anonymous. That episode is going to be coming out soon. And I've also just had a conversation with my good friend, Dr. Terry Daniel. She is from the Ask Dr. Death podcast, and she's doing some really amazing stuff. Well, what we talked about was her upcoming conference, the Death, Grief, and Belief Conference, which is coming up in July in Portland, Oregon. Now, if you can't make the conference in person, that's okay because all the episodes are going to be recorded, so you'll be able to access those later on. So don't worry if you can't actually make the conference, but what you can do is go on deathgriefandbelief.com and there's more information about the conference. You can also sign up for the newsletter, and this is really cool too, that if you use the code MINDSHIFT, you'll get a $25 off discount to the actual conference. That's the live conference, not the recorded version later. And I'm actually going to be doing a presentation talking about what happens after people leave the church off the back of a paper that I wrote years ago. And she wanted me to do a, a presentation on that. So there's going to be a lot of really interesting people. One of the people that's going to be there is Seth Andrews, the thinking atheist, as well as my good friend Janice Selby. And in fact, Janice is going to be doing a conference on religious trauma as well coming up. So we're going to be doing a, a podcast on that, promoting that as well. And then at the end of this month, I've got a chat with Dr. David DeAndre. We're going to be talking about his work as a sort of a former uh, seminary professor, theology professor like me. He's got some fascinating stuff. I've been following him on his own Facebook page as well as on the Fireside Creators page. So I'm really looking forward to chatting with Dr. David DeAndre. And then off the back of this episode, we are going to have Rebecca Drumsta back in February on the 27th. We've now confirmed that date. She's going to come back in. She's going to be our guest on our upcoming monthly MindShift Zoom call. And uh, speaking of which, we're going to do a Zoom call in the month of February as well. Our patrons only call on the 6th of February. So that's benefits that you get for being a Patreon supporter of this show. And in fact, speaking of which, I want to give a big thank you to Carmen McKinney-Stark. She is the latest Patreon supporter of the show. So thanks to Carmen much appreciated for that. If you want to be a supporter of the show, as always, the links to that are in the show notes. So you can be a part of those monthly Zoom calls with returning guests. In fact, we just had Jonathan Larson coming in from the Young Turks Network. He was on the show earlier in the month of January. And in fact, now I've just uploaded that conversation with Jonathan to the MindShift Podcast public Facebook page. So if you want to see what we get up to, Every month on those calls, you can have a look at that. There's also some past ones with people like Frank Schaefer. So those are really fantastic. And in fact, I'm going to have Michael coming in from the Religious Addicts Anonymous in the month of March. So we're looking to book a date for that. So some really cool stuff coming up. Anyway, let's get on back into the conversation with Rebecca Drumsta as we talk about her book, When Family Hurts, Finding Wholeness and Healing. And as you say, everyone's story is different because I'm thinking one of the things you talk about, okay, day seven, abandonment. So this is a different kind of scenario where in my case, and maybe in your case, we made a conscious decision. I am going to cut you off. I'm stopping mm -hmm. this because you're too hurtful, toxic, you know, whatever the, the reason mm -hmm. is. What about the person who's been abandoned? They've been cut off. 
by the family. It wasn't their choice. Yeah. That's got to be a whole different story. And of course, we know, I'm sure you've come across people coming out of, let's say, a religious background. If you walk mm-hmm. away from your particular faith tradition, your family will cut you off. They can shun you. They can turn turn you away. Um, and you you didn't want that decision. That's a different thing, isn't it? It is. And so perhaps there's, you know, a husband who left his wife. Mm-hmm. Maybe she yeah. would have those yeah. feelings of abandonment. Or like you said, your mother chose money over you. Well, yes, you're an adult, but at the same time, she abandoned you. When you've chosen to either leave Christianity or become a different form of Christian, a different form of a faith, maybe you've chosen mm-hmm. a completely different faith and your family, they will, they'll walk away. They'll abandon you. Oftentimes when people take the DNA tests and they find out that someone else is actually their biological parent, their existing parents will abandon them. Mm-hmm. And so there's so many situations where you feel like they just left me. It chose something else over me or And that brings up the, what was wrong with me? Am I not good enough? Why did they choose that? Or why did they choose something over me? And so you feel alone and abandoned, kicked to the curb for many different reasons. Mm -hmm. And you talk about pain from the day 10 now. You say pain, Mm -hmm. it hurts. It's unexplainable. Waves of reality collide. The pain, sometimes it comes on tense. You can't even breathe. But you say you need to sit in it. You need to sit with it. Let that pain teach you. What can pain teach us? I mean, at what point are we just wallowing in it? What's a healthy sort of balance there? Well, kind of the beginning of this one was um, many sleepless nights for me Mm -hmm. (laughs) of waking up and just feeling pain and crying through it. I think though many of us have been taught to stuff our emotions to to view anger or pain as something we just have to, to live over the top of. And so by sitting with your pain, I was trying to help people say, like, if you're feeling pain, get at the root cause of that pain. And by sitting with it, that means listen to what your body, what your mind, what your heart are trying to tell you. If there's pain, there's something going on. Just like in your body, if you wake up one morning and your neck hurts or, oh, there's a twinge in my side, there's a cause for that. And so instead of stuffing it, sometimes the bravest thing you can do is to sit with the pain and feel it emotionally and allow yourself to, to, I am hurting, admit that I am hurting. This hurt me. I am wounded. I need help. So sometimes instead of we cry and then get over it, cry and then move forward. But by sitting with it is when we stop and allow, acknowledge the fact I'm hurting and I need, I need to find some answers. I need mm-hmm. to get to the whys and I need to move towards healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not an unhealthy wallowing in it, is it? But you have to admit, yeah, that whatever that person did or didn't do hurt me deeply, badly. And what do I do with that? You know, how do I respond to that? Well, you get into yeah. then the issue of triggers, which is another thing, because I was thinking about this coming out of a religious background. I've been triggered by, you know, hearing a worship song or something like that. And bam, mm-hmm. it just, you, it's so unexpected. You can be completely blindsided. And you talk about that. It can trigger a painful memory. It can trigger something that you thought you dealt with, you thought was buried and done with. And all of a sudden, wham, what is it about mm-hmm. triggers that, that are so you know, well, I say triggering, but they can be so debilitating, can't they? They can. It's funny. I was watching the movie Don't Look Up. And uh, yeah, I need to watch that. I don't that. know if you've seen it yet. And so there is, well, I won't give you all the spoiler, but there's one of the main characters in the movie. I'll tell you, he's a little bit of the Elon Musk type of character. Mm, entrepreneur um, type, yeah. At, at some, one point, uh, about halfway through the movie, he gives this little speech and I was transported all the way back to the Bill Gothard basic seminar with mm-hmm. Bill Gothard on the screen because his mannerisms, the words he was using, even the tone of his voice, a little higher pitched and all this, suddenly all I could hear was Bill Gothard. All I could say, I'm like, whoa, where did that come from? I mean, this is just a few days ago. You know? and What's so, that about? Uh, this was so long ago. And so triggers, it could be a smell. It can be a sound. It can be 
anything. It can be a touch. And so for one, for example, you might see um, a woman at the grocery store wearing bright red lipstick. And for one woman, she could go, oh, my grandmother always wore red lipstick. I loved my grandma. She was the most amazing person. But for another person, it could be, well, my mother wore red lipstick and she beat the snot out of me every day. Mm -hmm. She was a horrible person. She would scream and yell and starve me. So red lipstick might bring good triggers and beautiful emotion and memory, or it might bring back the horrible things. And so that's just a random woman at the grocery store with red lipstick. And mm-hmm. so it's a sight, a touch, a smell, a feeling, sometimes just a sense of something. And it can bring up these memories, our emotions, like even our, our bodies have memory. I know like after I had a C-section with my daughter when she was born and there was such a long time that if anything, even if my daughter would hug me or anything, my body would kind of freeze up if anything touched Mm. where my C-section scar was. And I remember talking to a doctor one time and she was saying, because your body remembers physical trauma. And I was like, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. Really? How long is this going to last? Years later. It may not. And so, and I was like, are you serious? Cause it was a very traumatic birth experience. And so my body was connecting that experience with that spot on my body. And so that's what I meant by just a, a feeling or a sensation can bring us all the way back. Um, I had a friend who had a car accident uh, 15, 20 years ago. Um, it's in her little small town. And every time to this day that she goes to that stoplight where the person came without stopping and rear-ended her and smashed her car, she tenses up. Mm-hmm. She's been through counseling. She's physically fine now. She's been here, it's been 15 or 20 years, but her body remembers that exact spot and she'll tense up. So no matter how far we have progressed in our healing, no matter how much therapy we've gone to, we're just so wired into the world around us and to our past traumas and past experiences that you know, I'll have a dream sometimes and wake up and I'm in the middle of a, of a conference teaching children or something. <laughs> yeah. Cold like, sweat. Whoa, what am I doing? Why? Yeah. You know? um, Absolutely. Yeah. I can imagine that. And I've, I've said that before and I appreciate what you say, even though it's only a couple of paragraphs on that page, you say something like triggers can show up even years down the road when you least expect them. It's all about stimulating a buried memory or association. Mm-hmm. But when I used to be triggered, I would use words like, you know, I was debilitated or I was blindsided. I was emotionally, you know, wrecked for the whole rest of the day. And you say at the end, you say triggers are signs that we still have work to do in order to heal. What you are feeling is very real and completely normal. And I I went and talked to a therapist about that. And she said, you know, that's what you have to, you have to look at it positively. It's not just that you're blindsided and debilitated. Those words that you're using to describe being triggered mm-hmm. are themselves negative and they're contributing to your, you're being down and triggered and upset and angry. Yeah. But she said that exact same thing that you need to understand. This is something in your past that you're going, okay, now I see I've got to work on something mm-hmm. and I can actually identify what it is and be more positive about it. So you don't have to be blindsided and destroy yes. idea for the, the rest of the day or the month or, or whatever it is. That's how it was for me when I would try to go to church for many, many, mm-hmm. many years. I would try to go to church and I was so triggered for about four days. <laughs> I couldn't do anything else. I was debilitated. Yeah. And so I think something to remember, whether it's a trigger or a flashback moment in that moment, uh, people can use like the tapping techniques. They can use different coping mechanisms, coping skills that they've picked up through, through therapy. But just remind yourself that that situation is not happening right now. You are not experiencing what you're triggering. That already happened and you're safe. If you don't feel safe, go to a place where you do feel safe. And so that is something that I've had to remind myself of. I'm not experiencing this trauma, this abuse, this hurt right now. This is something that I already, but it feels like I am because I'm reliving it. That trigger is having me relive the emotion, the pain, the, the physical response to the harm that was done. And again, you, you're not crazy. You're not dumb. If you see you know, red lipstick and you remember the person who used to beat you, that is a normal, good response and, and lean into it because 
if you are noticing the response in yourself, you're becoming more in tune to your own body and more in tune to your own needs. And so often, especially those of us who grew up in strict religious communities, we were taught that our emotions lied to us. Our feelings would distract us from what God wanted for us or from us. And so learning to actually listen to your triggers, to listen to what your body and your mind are telling you in those moments is a healthy thing to do. Mm. And it is your body's way of trying to help you understand what do you need, but listen to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a famous book, isn't it? The body keeps the score or something yes. like that. And it's mm-hmm. like about, you t- talked about stored trauma. I just read an article yesterday by a former Mars Hill church, uh, Seattle he was a former leader at Mars Hill Church. And of course, that's that mm-hmm. podcast by Christianity Today. I don't know if people are aware of it, but they've done a whole sort of expose mm-hmm. on the Mars Hill Mark Driscoll story in Seattle. And that itself has been very triggering for a lot of people. And he it was has. saying that he had to seek therapy because he realized it was stored deep down in his physical body, as well as the emotions of the yeah. mental side going yeah. through, like you said, coming out of a toxic religious environment he had no idea how badly he'd been hurt actually by this whole experience, you know? So even years later, he's seeking therapy and (laughs) digging all this stuff up. Well, you know, and I may have said this before, but one of the little poems that I was, I had to memorize and was quoted to me over and over and over again at home was from Martin Luther. And it was a section of it taken out of context, I would Mm -hmm. assume, but it was feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God, not else is worth believing. And so anytime I would have an overwhelming emotion, it was, ah, feelings come and feelings go. What does the Bible say? You know? And so I was never allowed or taught how to, oh, I'm feeling anger or I'm feeling sadness. I'm feeling overwhelmed. And as a child, you know, I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling disappointed. Um, I was so excited. Now my friend can't come over for a play date. Well, get control of your emotions. What does the Bible say? You know? Mm-hmm. And so again, that's where these triggers, we start to, there's something wrong with me. I'm feeling big things. No, there's the reason that you are, and it's not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with you for having any of these 30 emotions, 30 mm-hmm. experiences in this book. It's healthy to listen to that, to get help, get more help if you need it. Certainly true. And I can, I can resonate with what you're saying. Certainly in evangelical fundamentalist Christianity, the emotions are distrusted. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, you know, says Who the Bible. <laughs> Who can know it? Only God. You know, mm-hmm. lean not on your own understanding and all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You know, so don't mm-hmm. trust your emotions. Don't trust your intuition. You've got to pray. You've got to ask God for everything. Now, I know you say, OK, you've got 30 days of emotions. They're not necessarily a strict linear thing. But when you get into, for example, day 20, now we're nearing the end okay. of the 30 days of emotions. That is numbness. And what hit mm-hmm. me about that was. I'm thinking actually that makes a lot of sense to have something like that come up quite far down the road because in doing therapy myself, what that's done is it's dredged up a lot of stuff. And then that leads to other emotional outbursts and other issues, you know, so you could actually experience numbness and things quite late in this process. Couldn't you? Yeah. Um, I think sometimes we get tired too, mm-hmm. um, because we've done some really hard work. Um, whether we're overcoming abuse or a mindset, I guess I could use the word worldview when it relates to Christianity. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, all these different things. And sometimes we get tired and it makes us feel numb. Or sometimes, you know, I remember I would have cried so hard for so long that I'm like, I just don't feel anything anymore. The hurt has gotten so deep. I am so raw. I literally have no clue what I'm feeling. But I was facing some hard things. I was facing hard realities about my situation, but it left me feeling, I, I don't know what I'm feeling. I don't know what to do. I don't, I felt helpless, but that would be about the only thing I knew what I, I don't know. I, I would just kind of go about your day and put on your socks and get to work. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you didn't know what else to do because you kind of felt like that, you know, a zombie almost. So yeah, yeah sometimes it comes emotions. because- Yeah, because we've worked so hard, or sometimes it's because we've hurt so hard. Well, and as you said, going toward the end of the book, getting into day 26, you talk about normalcy. 
you know, and mm. it's, it's like the new normal, mm-hmm. you know, like, okay, let's get to the point where now this life that I have fashioned for myself because of the choices I've made or others have potentially made them for me, yeah. I've got to have a new normal. What does mm-hmm. that new normal look like? It's, it surely can't be the same for everybody, can it? No, because the new normal, it might include new people. It might yeah. be the loss of old people. So I think the questions in there I ask, it's even like the way things used to be. Like, are we ever going to be able to go back to the way things used to be? For some people in your situation, it might genuinely be where you can. Um, if it's just, if it's been just a misunderstanding or, but if there's been abuse, if there's been estrangement, if there's been cutting off a family member, if there's been a divorce, if there's been a child leaving home, a loss of a, of a loved one, there's certain things that can't go back to normal. So it's learning, like, what am I missing from the old life? Well, what am I looking forward to in my new life? Is there going to be positive? Mm-hmm. Um, is there going to be good that's going to come out of this? And it's hard to see that. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to see that. It is. And the fact is, our the abusive, dysfunctional relationships can be normalized, can't they? We just live in it, especially if you're raised in it, like you and I were, we were raised in very fundamentalist sort of Christian sects, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. And that's all mm-hmm. I, that's all I ever knew. That was normal. That was yeah. my normal. <laughs> and we become addicted to chaos. We become yeah. addicted to the abusive or unhealthy behaviors because that's all we've ever known. That's been our normal. And so as we grow, as we mature, as we learn, as we've educated ourselves about what healthy patterns look like in a community, in a family, in a relationship, and we've had to make some hard choices, or like we've said, maybe the choices were made for us. It's a knee-jerk reaction to go back into the toxic, unhealthy, abusive behaviors or to submit to those things because that was what was our normal for so long. That was what felt normal. And and so as we're learning to have new patterns in our lives too. So Mm -hmm. new normal is going to be new, healthier patterns, Mm -hmm. not allowing those, you know, family toxic patterns, the way the family or the relationship that you were in dealt with conflict or dealt with misunderstandings or dealt with, you just don't agree. Mm -hmm. Um, So sometimes you can look forward to merely just, well, I am hoping that I will have new, healthier patterns Mm -hmm. that I will begin or, you know, just looking forward to, to that. But I see that often with clients and with others is they become addicted to whatever that stress, that pressure, that abusive behavior, because that's what you've always known. You thought that was normal. Mm-hmm. It's seeing that new perspective, isn't it? The new normal, mm-hmm. it can become something you can create for yourself because I've talked about this on other podcasts yeah. where almost just, just gone a year ago. Now my then wife, we made the decision that we were going to separate, which then led to us getting divorced this last year. And I did get some therapy around that, not necessarily because I was so broken up about the loss of the marriage, because it, it kind of ended a long time ago. We just kind of mm-hmm. made the decision. Yeah, we faced the reality that, you know, it was mm-hmm. over. But one of the things she got me to see was she said, you know, you have to think of it. I was so wrapped up with all my anxieties and problems going mm-hmm. forward, being single. She said, actually, you've been liberated. And so has your your ex. You have to see it that mm-hmm. way, that she's free to pursue the life that she wants to pursue and you're free to pursue the life you want to pursue. And once I started seeing it from that point of view, that was that was a game yeah. changer for me. And it wasn't a, a, a pejorative thing like, oh, my God, I'm finally free from this horrible person. It was an amicable right. split. We're still friends. We still stay in touch. You know, we share a dog and everything like that, you know, but she's creating a whole new life. I'm creating a whole new life. And that's yeah. my new normal. You know, so you're yeah. right. It can become something that is quite a liberating thing, can it? Yeah. And also often in a family hurt type of situation, you are not in control. I cannot mm-hmm. control if my sister's ever going to talk to me again. I cannot control if my, you know, my spouse is going to go get counseling and decide they do want to stay married. I can't control the abuse that happens to the people that I love or to myself. So, so many times that power balance, there's been that I've never been in control. Someone else has. And so as we begin to place boundaries, to find healthier ways of having a relationship, that is something that now you can control. 
So you have gained power, you've gained control, not power from a, you know, like a dictatorship kind of thing, but a proper type of power, um, power over yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think that is, again, that's something uncomfortable and un, un, unusual for us, a real, very religious background. I can have control over myself, really. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can, you know. Have agency, but, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that is something that you can start to look forward to, is how can I embrace these boundaries, these healthy patterns, having this, I am in control of this part of my story. Yes, I, in that part of my story, I wasn't. But going forward, I can control this. And that is that liberation and empowerment, isn't it? I would say looking mm -hmm. back on my decision to cut myself off from my mother and some of my very toxic sisters, that was probably, no, not probably, it was the healthiest decision I have ever made for myself, for sure. It was yeah. because I was spending so much emotional energy and time trying to fix all the stuff that was wrong. And when I finally saw that it wasn't ever going to be fixed, no matter what I did, I couldn't reconcile it. And it yeah. was damaging me massively in the process. I finally kind of woke up and said, I've got to do this for me because it's burning yeah. me out. It's destroying me. And the more I look back on, it, I think, man, that was the healthiest decision. So it's not always mm. the, the worst thing you can do, is it? Sometimes yeah. it's the best thing you, you have because to do you, it for your own sanity. You can't control your mom or your sisters. Yeah, You're not you in charge. You cannot control them. Just like you know someone you love needs to go to therapy. You can't make them go. Yeah, they have to see to the go. need and make the choice for themselves. So all you can do is control your behavior, your thoughts, your actions, your goal, like all you can do is control yourself. Um, that's all. And I, I don't know that again, that's been a hard, a hard lesson for me to learn with the background that I come from. Um, and I'm still learning. Yeah. I think we're all on that journey. Okay. So if you're on this journey, you need to get this book. It's called when family hurts 30 days to finding healing and clarity. Where can people find this book? Well, if you go to my website, RebeccaDrumsta.com, and you sign up for my email list, I will send you the first three days of this for free, or mm -hmm. you can buy a copy of the book on my website or BarnesandNobles.com or Amazon.com. I believe Walmart also carries it and Indie Books, but Amazon and Barnes and Nobles are the two more, uh, mm -hmm. the bigger names. Yeah, bigger names. So it is definitely out and you can get a hold of it. It's out. The other thing I was going to say, we'll put in a shameless plug now because we've talked about this a little bit. So in the month of February, we're, we haven't nailed down the date yet, but we are going to work on, we've agreed that it's going to happen in, in the month yeah. of February. So Rebecca, you're going to come back and be our guest again for our February MindShift Zoom call with our group. So if you found this to be a helpful discussion, you can be a part of that by getting a hold of myself or Rebecca and dropping into that call. So yes. I'm really, really, really looking forward to having you come back next month and do that Zoom awesome. call with our group. Awesome. Looking forward to it too. And thank you for sharing parts of your story. Thank you for connecting that way. I know it can be hard, especially if things are still fresh and new, but mm -hmm. um, and when it involves family, because again, it hurts. It always hurts. It really does. Yeah. It's a special maybe 20 kind of years hurt, later, yeah. 20 years later, 30 years later, but it always hurts. It's true. And if you think about, you know, the relationship that you make, I remember a friend of mine, he said he had had to cut his relationship off with his very toxic father. And that was something I heard from him probably 10 or 12 years ago. And that lodged in my mind. I thought, you know, some people have to do that. And hearing him say that kind of empowered me a couple of years later to do the same thing. So it can be yeah. just a, a kind of a passing comment can be quite impactful when it comes to making those kind of decisions. So anyway, I will let you go. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Right. I really well, enjoyed you. chatting with you. Thank you so much for sending me a copy of this book. And I'm so looking it. forward to reconnecting with you in February for our MindShift Zoom call. Awesome. Talk to you soon.